back 20. He's to the 15. He's to the 10. He's to the 5. He leaps in. Touchdown. He's in. Duke Johnson with a somersault over the pylon and in. Cuts inside the 5. Charles works behind a blocker. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. What a run of 12 yards for Jamal Charles. Caught by T.Y. at the 50, 45, down to the 40. Cuts back in, 35, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, T.Y. Hill. Third and three, pass right, caught Diggs at the 40. Space to the 30. And it moves. 10, 5, touchdown. Looks right, throws a bomb down the right side. Looking for Anderson. He's got it. It's stride. 20, 10, 5, touchdown. Robbie Anderson turns on the Jets, literally. Ryan looks, 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 steps into a throw. He's picked off oh. by the Lions. Deflected and picked off by Barry Slate right sideline. Slate 40, Slate 45, and run out of bounds by Taylor Gabriel. Oh, baby, they're right back in it. That's what they do. Play fake, Brady looking left side, fires, pass, caught. Two-point conversion. 36-33 Patriots. 61 yards. Hold your breath. Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... It's good! <laughs> and the Eagles win! <laughs> this is that dream I talked about. They win! He's had this dream before. 61 yards! The longest kick in Eagles history. Takes some turns, sticks it in the belly of the back. Here's Jordan Howard, left of the 10. Howard, five, turns upfield. He is in. Is he in for the touchdown? Yes. Touchdown, touchdown Bears. Kareem Hunt gets it again. The rookie running back, cuts back left. He's at the 40. He's at the 40. Chandy, or the Chargers at the 30, 20, 10, 5. Good night, Chargers. It's a 69-yard run by the NFL's new phenom, rookie Kareem Hunt. Mariota gives it to Murray, running to the left. He's got room to the 30, 35, 40. 45-50, 45-40. He cuts back to the middle, 35-30, 30, 25-20. 15, 10, 5, it's out. Touchdown, Titans. Here's the snap, the placement, the kick is to the upright. Yes, yes, yes. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger, and the Packers win in overtime, 27-24. Cousins play action. Looks left, throws right, looking deep down the right sideline for Doxon, a jump ball. Doxon takes it away and walks in for the touchdown. Redskins with a 20 to nothing lead as Cousins hooks up with Doxon from 52 yards out. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you in the game. And first of all, apologies for the lack of podcasts so far this week. It's been a little bit of a a manic one since London on Sunday. So what we're going to do with the show today is we're going to be just taking a little bit of a look at some of the news around the NFL, reacting to some of the weekend's games. We're not going to get into all of them because I think that would just be crazy at this point. And uh, yeah, we've got loads to, to kind of dig into and get involved with. As always, touchdown trips, check out Ben and the team online, well worth your time. If you're thinking about doing a trip, you might have sampled live football for the first time this past weekend at Wembley and know that you want to go out and see what it's like with a real tailgate with with the fans out in the States, so uh, get involved in that. And uh, this coming Sunday, Dolphin Saints, the after party at Bloomsbury Lanes, tickets selling, we've got... 
not only are you going to get a free shot of Jameson and a free copy of the latest Gridiron magazine, which is a Saints Dolphin special on entry, but you're also going to get Krispy Kreme donuts. Why wouldn't you be there? I don't understand. Our friends at USA Sports are going to be doing uh, a merchandise stall there. £10 now from the Gridiron website, gridiron-magazine.com. Get there and get involved. Now, uh, Matthew Sherry joins me. He's down the line on Skype from back in Hartlepool. How are you doing, buddy? Very good. Thanks, man. Let me just describe the scene to you. I'm sitting right now. So I'm sat outside on a picnic bench at London Irish's training ground uh, in West London, out near kind of Twickenham Way. And about three rugby pitches away from me, the New Orleans Saints are currently going through their drills in training. We've just watched Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara catching balls out of the backfield, mostly from Chase Daniel. Drew Brees just kind of warming up and getting himself limbered for the day. Uh, we saw the members of that defence starting to run a few uh, few drills and stuff, and uh, we're going to be speaking shortly uh, and hopefully. with us. They've put up a few players for today, but I'm hoping to catch up with our, our friend from the Super Bowl and from last season, Cameron Jordan. And obviously the big topic is going to be the fact that he made the decision this past weekend, along with many players and owners in the NFL, to either take a knee, sit or link arms during the anthem. It's the first time Cameron Jordan's done it personally. So... Uh, I think before we get into the football, Sherry, we kind of need to react to the current political situation. Uh, what did you make of Aaron Rodgers' comments overnight that he wants to see fans at the Bears-Packers game on Thursday night football linking arms in the stands and showing solidarity with the players? Do you think that's something you know, we could see infiltrating over to Wembley come Sunday afternoon? I think it's a great idea. I mean, I've seen a couple of people on our Twitter account suggest that they didn't think it was a great idea because they didn't think politics should be brought to the stands but of course the the main reality in this and what i hope doesn't get lost in this whole thing is the reason this all started was because of protests against social injustice and and at the end of the day social injustice isn't just impacting people who are in the nfl and at this it's impacting whole communities of people and, and i think wherever you wherever you stand pardon the pun on the method of protest and nailing down is kind of your own decision. And I understand why that's divisive. But ultimately, what we saw a lot on Sunday was the linking arms. And I think that is a, a good way of showing a unity and, and, and really a powerful image. And I think if the, if it's continued in the stands as well, it'll be even more powerful. I think people who joined us on the TalkSport 2 show on Sunday night as well, Matt was in studio with me from, from kind of 7pm onwards when we picked up from Nat and the guys in the studio. We gave our views on, on the actual situation itself and I think at this point, to continue to bang on about just how ludicrous it is that the leader of the so-called free world who you know leads a country where their anthem has the phrase land of the free in it, where the, the civil right that they're almost most proud of is freedom of speech continues to try and reduce the freedom of speech of some people because they happen to be athletes and for the people who do say I don't think politics and sports should mix this shows utter nonsense it is okay I understand that you know Cameron Jordan is someone who does come from a, you know, a, a, a background um, that is not you know I, I, the kind of necessarily white middle class background that I think a lot of NFL fans a lot of people in this country have got to enjoy People will say, ah, yeah, but he's earning, you know, a $100 million contract nowadays on six years. And he's, you know, why, wh how is it in touch is he with the people? But the point is they have a platform. 
They want to use it, and I'm, I'm delighted that they're using it for these purposes. I g- genuinely much rather that they got, got involved in, in social justice campaigns and, and that our sports people did have some kind of conscience and did think about this. And the, the, the reality is with NFL players as well, I mean, I've literally just seen it for, finished um, sub and, uh, sub-editing, for listeners who don't know what that means, uh, piece running the next gridiron, which is a piece about Patrick Peterson and Tyron Matthew. Now, Tyron Matthews' story is like so many others I've heard in the NFL. Underprivileged background, dad ended up in prison for murder, doesn't speak to his dad anymore. And basically, his whole life was saved by Patrick Peterson. He tells you that himself. He doesn't know where he'd be without Patrick Peterson. He was the reason the Cardinals drafted him when people weren't willing to take a chance on him, seemingly, in that draft. And that is a story that is... When you read it, you think, wow, that is an unbelievable, amazing story. But the Ted Penny in the NFL, there are loads of examples of players who have lifted themselves out of situations that are being fought against by this protest. So for me, their, their kind of input in this, especially now they have the platform, is as if not more relevant than anyone that you could ever imagine. And look, I don't know how receptive or justifiable doing anything like that would be in, in a press box or whatever, but I feel like if I was in the stands and I was with like-minded fans, I would want to be in there and linking arms and showing some solidarity with the players. With The you know, I, the fact is, is that, yes, it's happening in another country, but the country arguably most similar to us in the world the, the most similar culture and the most similar kind of makeup of black and ethnic minorities and yeah you know, i i just think that this is something and particularly when it's rallying against donald trump something we've all kind of got to give our two penneth on and i i, I think like well, what we'll do here like put a little time code and, and um hopefully we will get kind of five or six minutes with cameron jordan this may well be a pooled interview so you might get some questions from other journalists but i think i just want to leave it in there raw for you so you can hear exactly what he had to say about the situation and, of course, the Saints coming over to London and looking forward to this brilliant game this coming weekend. To begin with, it, I mean, it was rapid fire. I mean, um, something that uh, we've all been aware of, we've all uh, have been conscientious of uh, this past year and a half, two years of um, Kaepernick initially kneeling, bringing to light social injustices, bring, um, bringing up topics that have really hadn't been focused on. Um, I think a lot of that was surfaced and it was brought to attention. Um, it has now, you know, escalated to the point where, where we consider it's weird talking to you about it. I was expecting this from one of you guys, <laughs> but for us to, um, have our president create offense, I wouldn't say, um, you know, whether you felt some type of way about it or not, it was like, Hey, I feel that in this kneeling, in this, whatever, we still pay homage to our flag. We still pay homage to our people. We still uh, respect our troops. We still love everything about our country. And it's because we love our country, we have the ability to take this knee, ability to place our hand over our heart, ability to uh, not only hum, murmur, or sing the lyrics, um, but take pride in every every part of the national anthem. That still does not deter us from the fact that we are Americans. It's not going to ever deter us from the fact that we respect our flag, that we love being American. It only gives us more pride to say, hey, this is the day and age where I can show and demonstrate something and what's on my mind and what's on my heart and prove this to the world that this is an important to- topic to pay attention to while the meanwhile trying to un- unify a single mind. Um, and that's what, you know, pushing forward, that's the question is how do you go forward and bring in unity? Um, and so, you know, again, I'm out in London yesterday. Um, I'm enjoying 
everything about it. You know, I'm texting family members like, hey, check this. I went to lobsters and burgers. I had lobster and burgers. We've never even thought about this combo. Um, and I come in and it was like, hey, you were sitting down to the national anthem. Um, of course I was. Of course I have, I'm completely in solidarity with the entire movement. I, you know, but as I'm sitting, my hand is over my heart. As I'm sitting, my eyes are searching for the, the flag. As I'm sitting, I'm still singing my uh, singing the national anthem. As I've done every time I've heard the national anthem since as long as I can remember. At the end of the national anthem, I'm still kissing the flag on my helmet. I'm still bumping my helmet, getting myself ready for the battle ensuing. But that being said, it all starts with I want to bring to light everything that's happened. You can't forget everything that we have to go through. But the, it, it, a lot of negativity, a lot of positivity. Don't get it twisted. Again, we are the American people. We are people who pull together and are united. Um, there is nothing about this that in this rift, there can still be understanding. And that's what you're really pushing for. Um, How would it feel to see the British fans if they chose to link arms in the crowd? Appreciate the support, big guy. Um, welcome, you know, uh, come on over. Um, but, you know, it's at some point in time, um, again, understanding and unity is all that you can really push forward for uh, with everything that's been going on. This is the 21st century. At this point, love should overcome hate. Um, and it should trans, trans, be that bridge. How about that? Instead of trying to get lost in bigger words, how about we be this bridge upon our people to come together? Well, that's Cam Jordan. They also put up quarterback Drew Brees at the podium as well. And I managed to get in a question with him on his comments after the anthem protest that he was not in support of the idea of kneeling or standing. Cam and I had a long conversation on the way over here, and, and there's conversations that are taking place amongst guys on the team. So um, I, I think we're, we're trying to find... Um, you know, the best way to 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 handle this, to show unity and yet show respect uh, for the flag as well. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be something this week, but I'm sure it will be something at some point. Your comments after the game, Drew, where you said that you respected the, the cause, but you didn't necessarily support the idea of sitting or kneeling. Is that something that you've kind of changed your opinion on with those conversations? Uh, no, I, I still feel like... Um, if, if, if you are an American, you should stand and show respect to the flag um, and what it symbolizes. And certainly I respect the cause. And um, I, think, I think what you saw uh, last weekend especially was a, a direct result of the comments that the president uh, made, President Trump. Um, unfortunately, I think he put, he put all, all athletes, all all you know, black athletes, minority athletes, he put them in a corner and 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 forced them to take action. And so that was that was unfortunate that that he made the comments that he made. And I don't I don't blame the guys for 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 feeling like they needed to to do something in as a reaction to that. When you say you've spoken to to Cam and the other guys, are you hoping that whatever you do this weekend will be together and, and unified? Th- those have been the discussions that have taken place. Um, is that we, we want to find something that we can do together that shows unity and does not show division. Um, but at the same point, I think there's, I think we all, we all are very much on the same page as far as the cause is justified, but it's just the means by which the, the, the whatever you want to call it, the protest, the um, awareness is, is, is raised. Um, how can we do that in a respectful manner?
Saints defender defensive end Cameron Jordan and anyone else I spoke to today, which I've just slipped in there as well with a little intro match, Sherry, because you know that's just the easiest way of doing this. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think if not a professional, will as I saw firsthand for. Six straight hours at the weekend. Oh, it was come six in the morning. When at six in the morning, the breakfast team asked you to stay an extra half an hour to come in and talk about anthems <laughs> with Alan Brazil and Joey Barton. Uh, and I, there was one point in the third quarter of that Washington-Oakland game where I did, I found myself probably about four minutes from the end of the third quarter. Ollie had popped out to go and do a bit of work and I just sat in the chair and I'd started to slump back a little bit. I could feel my eyes oh, starting yeah. to droop and I was like, wake up, snap into focus. <laughs> You've still got two and a bit more hours to go. Come on, buddy. And that's that's the other reason why we're, we're not going to heavily go over the games from the weekend, because if people were that committed to hearing our thoughts, they could have heard them for five <laughs> to six straight hours as the games were actually going on. Yeah, and, and do you know what? It was a, it's a shame that we're not doing a breakdown of the weekend's games, because what a weekend it was. We had eight teams coming into the weekend at 2-0 and with an opportunity at going 3-0. and Six of them fell at the third hurdle, the third undefeated hurdle as it was. And of those six, five of them were favourites going into their games. We had the Bears winning, the Jets winning, the Jags winning, the Bills winning. Like, it was really the NFL in the upside down this past weekend. And so there is plenty for us to kind of get into and talk about. But before we do any of that, the kind of only non-anthem news around from the last couple of days, just something I wanted to mention was uh, Darren Sproles. Uh, He'd already said this season was going to be his final in the NFL uh, he goes down in that Giants game and breaks his forearm and tears his ACL in the same play. And this is a guy who's 34 years old, I think, at this point. And I think he's probably now played his last snap in the NFL, unless he pulls a kind of Steve Smith situation and decides he wants to come back for one last run because he doesn't want to end it on an injury. But the guy is beloved in three different NFL cities, which I just think is insanely rare with any player to be you know any player to be loved in two cities is amazing and you do get them but to be loved in three different cities and to be a player who's exciting to watch he's in the top all-time 10 in total yardage if you include return yardage as well he's an unbelievable player yeah is is he is he a hall of fame candidate there's there's maybe the problem is because he wasn't purely because his yards came from across the board yeah but that 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 for me that level of versatility is something that you should be marked up for instead of down but isn't there that argument that like situation where he becomes marked down for it yeah that's that's the thing i think there's a situation where like you know if he's devon hester and he's gained all of his yardage from returns basically i know he was a wide receiver as well but if if 90 percent of it has all come from being a special teamer there's an argument of him getting in on the special teamers and i actually think that's something that then if they're going to include another dispensation for something in the long term doing like one special teamer gets in once every four years or something could be something i saw them doing in the longer term but i think because he was so spread across catching the ball running the ball returning as well he is the definition of a borderline player, and I think he probably falls short. But I'd love it's a, it's a tough one though because of how valuable the third down back has become in the modern NFL. Like if you, and oh, Chris Thompson this much... past weekend for Washington yeah, exactly. was unbelievable. James James White was the Didn't... offensive star outside of Tom Brady in, in the biggest Super Bowl comeback of all time. I mean, these guys are insanely valuable, and Sproles has been the best of those guys for a decade. I mean, I think there's some value in that. Yeah, I, I think he'll miss out is my sad assessment, but he has been one of my favourite players to watch over the past 10, 12 years. And, and yeah, I just you know, wanted to kind of say that and, and kind of give him the love that maybe he doesn't always get on kind of I think the one final point I'd love to make on, on Darren Sproles is 
if you look at the teams he, he left in San Diego and New Orleans, they've been trying to find their next Darren Sproles ever since he left. Yeah. Now, I think that's fairly telling, isn't it? They, they've tried to replace him. And, and in spots had spells of replacing him, like Woodhead. Was Danny good Woodhead, yeah. In San Diego for a little while. Alvin and, um, Kamara. And I've got to tell you, Alvin Kamara, just watching the Saints today, the difference yeah, he's between... Yeah, going to be good, isn't he? Difference between his hands catching the ball, and this was obviously just in early drills, but the difference in his hands catching the ball out of the backfield and, say, Adrian Peterson, the way he secured the ball firmly, took it in quickly, he, he looked like a really great third down back it, like, in theory. I mean, obviously, like I say, it's just training drills, but there was enough there that made me go, ooh, that's quite exciting. Yeah, absolutely, but, and that's the point. Like Those teams, for several years now, have been looking for another guy to replace Darren Sproles and never been able to find a guy as consistent. And this, for all he's got injured here, a guy who's largely stayed healthy throughout a career, despite being in spots like running over the middle and returning the return game where he could easily get injured. So I think it's been a great career. And, and another reminder, though, that NFL players should stop announcing that it's going to be their last season because <laughs> they invariably get injured. It just seems to always happen that way. Yeah, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. Now, I wanted to do something for people who didn't hear our, our coverage on Sunday night. I, I, I kind of want to go into a few of the different teams and just talk about a kind of season assessment three weeks in. But um, I, I just wanted to play a little something in from Sunday night, which is we heard at the top of the show in the highlights there the moment at which Jake Elliott, the 22-year-old rookie, hit a game-winning 61-yard field goal, the longest in Eagles history. We were trying to figure out it was the longest winning goal in his, field goal in history. Did we ever figure that out in the end? Well, I think Ollie Wilson tweeted that it was, so I'm assuming he looked into that. So we think it might be, but if the listeners know something we don't, we'd love to hear from you because that's a great start. But I, what I want to bring you is the audio of when we saw that moment happening live on TalkSport. It's going to be a 61-yard field goal attempt uh, for the Eagles, which seems a little bit difficult, even on home soil and with all the goodwill and backing behind you. I imagine everybody uh, behind Elliot here is just going to be blowing. They're just going to be blowing in the stand behind him and just all the fans just trying to push it over as much as they can. Uh, they're going to take a time out here, the Giants, and try and ice the kickers. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. has actually gone back to try and return the, uh, the field goal should he come up short. So this is going to be quite an interesting finale indeed, but I'll head back to you because we're not done yet, but we do have a timeout in Philadelphia. 24-24, one second on the clock. Matt Prater would nail it. Oh, just, saying, just saying, just uh, saying. Ollie Hunter would have missed this earlier because he'd have been travelling back from Wembley. Uh, Ollie Hunter, producer and presenter on the Sunday Night Football Show, who is also uh, with us and uh, sorting the buttons and does and basically doing a great job, buddy. Absolutely loving your work today. Matt Prater has nailed 14 consecutive field goals from over 50 yards. Oh, I love a field goal stat. Yeah, oh, he's, I know he's a man great. who loves special teams. I just oh. needed him to get involved for that. I also needed to stall for time while we waited for the uh, while we waited for the retake and kick after the timeout. Odell Beckham is deep under the posts. Could return this in theory if there is the opportunity to snap. Good kick. Oh, 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 oh. oh. <laughs> the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles with a sixty-one yard walk-off field goal. Oh, yes. <laughs> Forget the miracle of the Meadowlands. That's superb. 61 yarder. Eli Manning's face right now is just a picture. Wentz has led the comeback with that lovely pass out to Al Sean Jeffrey. And Elliot with a monster kick. The Eagles go. 
to two and one. Would you believe it? 27-24. Just when they look like they've thrown it away, having that 14 nothing lead, they snatch it right at the death with a walk-off field goal. Jake Elliott, 22 years old, wins it with a 61-yarder, and Ollie Wilson has his Gary Neville moment. <laughs> <laughs> well done, mate. I'm really pleased with you got the win. Dan McLaughlin as well from Gridiron Gents, Ollie Wilson, me, Matt Sherry, and uh, it's fair to say we got a little bit excited about that. We did. We got excited about a few things that weekend. I mean, at one point I got to live out the dream scenario of basically calling live a, a Tom Brady game winning touchdown, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, I think we were... Even when those big moments weren't having the general vibe of the whole show was, was excitement at what was... Uh, Still, I'm struggling to think of a better Sunday of games. I thought it was outstanding this weekend. Yes, yeah, so we had that incredible ending in the Giants-Eagles game and obviously the Odell Beckham nonsense afterwards. And no, nothing is going to happen to Odell Beckham. There will be no suspension. There'll be no nonsense. I, I, I think that there is an issue with the order in which he chose to do those touchdown celebrations, to do the dog one first and then to later say it was because he'd been called an SOB uh, and as, as other fellow players had been by the president. I think that's one kind of argument he could have made but then to do that and then to do the Jesse Taylor Black Power Fist for the second touchdown I almost think if you do it the other way round you have a bit more credibility but he obviously thought to himself and planned it in advance he wanted to do that dog thing he didn't know he was going to get two touchdowns and so he wanted to get that out there but yeah the, the Giants are 0-3 maybe in fact let's we're going to do let's talk about the teams based on their records so far and, and let's start off with those 0-3 teams I know it's a bit of a backwards way of doing it but the Giants, a lot of us were picking as being uh, a, a potential, you know, at least a, a team going to the playoffs as a wild card. They now sit at 0-3 and have been basically dreadful. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we all picked them with the caveat that we needed to see whether Brandon Marshall made any difference to Eli Manning. It's similar to what I was talking about with the Jaguars on, on TalkSport on Sunday in that they've become a team who really only have one way to win, which is which is basically through their defence. I mean, it's not even like the Jaguars where they've got a running game that, if they get on top of you, can make life really difficult. The, the, the passing game just comes and goes sporadically. It's, it's a really limited offence. I mean, Ben McAdoo... It just—it's a dreadful offense to well, ben, watch. Well, Ben McAdoo, we had in the same thought of Adam Gase, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, that group of young, exciting, offensive minds. I think Ben McAdoo was being kind of lumped into that a bit, and nothing he's done this season uh, uh, or developed has shown I mean, that. The, the offense—the offense was really difficult to watch last season as well, and I think part of it as well comes into team building in that. Did you really need Brandon Marshall when you so desperately needed an offensive lineman? I think you can second-guess that decision now, because, and not just because Marshall looks like a shell of his former self, but you've got Sterling Shepard and Odell Beckham Jr. is what you want on two receivers. You've just invested a first or second-round pick in, in a tight end. I think it was the first-round pick. Um, so did you really... A tight end was effectively a wide receiver as well. If he's on the field, you know it's not going to be a running play. So I just think you look back at the team building and assess that element as well. And we are second-guessing a team that we all thought was going to be good. But the results are the results. I mean, and Sunday was really the only game they've been competitive in. You would say Sunday was actually a step in the right direction. But 
they are on three and now struggling to make anything of the season. Yeah, 100%, definitely on the offensive side of the ball. I'm not sure we need to talk about the 0-3 49ers because we talked about them a lot last week in terms of that Shanahan McVay and that brilliant Thursday night football. But going over to the AFC, two teams are going head-to-head this coming weekend in the Bengals and the Browns. I mean, Marvin Lewis is one loss to the Browns away from being on the hottest of hot seats. Um, but the Browns this past weekend, I mean, the Bengals, there was some real encouragement in their loss to the, the Packers. They had one really good half and maybe two and a half quarters where they played really well. And then Aaron Rodgers, the Packers offense and the Packers defense, to be fair as well, took over the game and got them back in it, got them that overtime win. But the Browns, to be what, 17 points down to the Colts in the fourth quarter. And yeah, they got some garbage time to pull it back to make it a respectable-looking loss. But we, we all think the Colts aren't a good football team. And now we've got the Browns with a loss. Two losses to teams we thought were great, and now a loss to a team that we thought were terrible. And suddenly uh, you're thinking, come on, you've got to show something, Cleveland. And the, the thing is with Cleveland, the worry for me is the bar of what they have to show is so low. But they're already threatening to be below that. I mean, if they win four games this year, you can point to that as legit progress, especially when they've thrown a rookie quarterback in who I'm I'm not 100% sure whether they would do that if they had anybody half decent other than him. So it is really troubling and and disappointing. I mean, from the Bengals' perspective, that was just the classic getting ahead in a big spot and then playing terrified for the rest of the game. I mean... And Dalton, especially, it was just it, it. It's painful to watch Dalton at the moment. He, to me, was the main reason they didn't win on Sunday. Rather than, I mean, if you if you restrict the Green Bay Packers to what was it in the end? Was it twenty four points by the end uh, at home? Yeah. Then you should. Then you've done a good job there. You've given yourself a chance to win the game. And when you've scored points early, then you've given yourself a great chance to win the game. So, yeah, I think Dalton's still a major concern. It's a huge game for both teams. I mean. We looked at the Browns at own too and thought, well, they've looked good in both games. Now they've got the Colts, the Bengals, and then I think they have the Jets next week. Like, we thought then maybe you could see a 3-2 and two Cleveland Browns team. Now they're own three, having lost to me, which certainly at this point after the Jets last week looks the easiest of those three games. Then this one becomes huge. It's in front of their home fans. And, and I think if they lose this week, those fans who maybe have been displaying a little bit of patience over the last... 14, 13, 14 months because there's a new regime and it seems like they want to do things a different way. I think that they'll start to get really impatient again on Sunday if it goes wrong. Yeah, I think absolutely spot on. And the other team that are rowing through, of course, the Chargers, almost the less said about them, the better, but it flips us nicely. Again, similar to the Browns, two tight losses, two throwing games away in the fourth quarter. They're a thing that they're expert at. Then they lose to the Chiefs who... Of the t- are one of the two three and O teams, only two three and O teams left in the Chiefs and the Falcons. So Minnesota Chiefs Falcons Super Bowl, then right? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be a million percent surprised. I mean, do, you, do you know what though? Uh, it would be. The, it would be. I think on paper that is a brilliant matchup. I it's the, the it'd NFL be, just wouldn't want it from a sellable matchup. point of view because of Andy Reid's ability to game plan with a lot of time. So I think Andy Reid's a really dangerous coach in that kind of spot in the Super Bowl. I don't think for one minute that the Chiefs will get to the Super Bowl because I don't <laughs> trust Alex Smith in the playoffs. I don't. I mean, it's just one of those things where I think you're going to need a certain level of play from your quarterback in the playoffs. And to be fair, Smith did do that at times in San Francisco. But I just there's something about the Chiefs that, that 
you just feel like it'll be the same season again of 13, 14, 12, 13, 14 wins. And then ultimately they'll, they'll come up short in probably the FC Championship game. I've just had it confirmed, by the way, this Friday lunchtime, I'm going to be speaking with Hall of Fame, maybe one of the best defensive linemen of all time, Jason Taylor, ahead of this weekend's games. Uh, he's actually calling uh, Colts uh, Seahawks for us on Talk Sport, but uh, he was nice. obviously over in London with the Dolphins in 2007, and we can talk about this current Dolphins team, so that's very exciting. That interview coming for you later this week. We have Jonathan and you've also got point. the opportunity to speak to Mark Clayton, Sam Madison, Lance Moore, and Juice McAllister tomorrow if you want to. Uh, do you know what? Mark Clayton, when we spoke to him last time out, was really, really good fun, so there's, there's some players in there that are worth talking to. Absolutely. First you told me about it, I'll have to figure out my schedule. Told my wife to clean the house. I've just got but... the email. <laughs> Fine. We'll figure it out when we finish, shall we? Probably shouldn't have just announced these things on the podcast, but we did. So <laughs> let's go with it. Uh, if you really want to hear me talking to Juice McAllister, drop us a tweet this evening and I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think for the other kind of group of teams I want to talk about briefly are those teams who came into the weekend 2-0 and and left the weekend two and one and we haven't talked about London yet and we've got to talk about how impressive the Jags were both defensively I also think from like a running the ball perspective they did exactly what they needed to do against the Texans they established the run you look at three of those four touchdown passes came off of some kind of play fake something where they had lined up a running back in the eye in the backfield and were looking to make it look like they were running the ball um it set Blake Bortles up in the best way possible. That's what they need to do week in, week out. Against the Jets this weekend, after they finally figured out how to run defend against uh, the Dolphins, I think we might see them in a, in a shocking situation go two and two annoyingly. But, um, but the Ravens, just no Brandon Williams, no Marshall Yonder. If you didn't believe in the, the power of those trenches before this weekend, you must do now. Absolutely, it was absolutely it was stunning, wasn't it? I mean, I never thought for one minute that the Ravens were as good at two and as they looked, but I also didn't think that any team was capable of beating them forty four seven. And I just I can't even believe it. And those losses here, but for me, it was just it, it was it was systematically a lot more than that. It was it was basically everything they did, and uh, and the offensive line looked awful. It just all it just all looked terrible. However. I would fully expect them to play the Steelers close this week because they always play each other close. The only thing I would say on the Ravens, and it comes back to a point I make on this podcast quite a lot, is for all their defence was amazing in the first two weeks. It was amazing in that they created 10 turnovers rather than completely shutting down the opposition. So even the Bengals that first week moved the ball on the Ravens, but they just turned it over in bad spots. And... I, I always say that turnover-heavy defences ultimately are not something that you can hang your hat upon because it won't happen every week. And it especially doesn't happen late in the season. But on this occasion, Jacksonville came with a really focused game plan of not turning the ball over, not giving the game away. And then what we learned is the Baltimore Ravens, if they get behind heavily, are not a team who can come back. And I don't think they will be all season. Uh, looking just elsewhere, because I think we can give the Jags and everyone as much love as we like, but uh, I, I want to talk about that AFC West, because dropping games that you shouldn't lose on the road is going to be the difference between winning that division and not, because they're going to take games off each other. And the Broncos going to the Bills and losing 
and Trevor Simeon throwing two interceptions and not getting the run established and everything that they've done so brilliantly in their two home games. Just a, a few worries about a team that I got really excited about in the first two weeks for me. It's concerning, definitely. I mean, and, and not so much the loss, more the manner of the loss. As you say, I think it's another one. There's so many teams in the NFL that, to me, feel totally one-dimensional in that they can win playing their style of football, and but they need to impose that on you to win. And Denver were unable to do that on Sunday. And then we see what Trevor, Trevor Simeon, the, the flaws that still exist in his game. And look, there are going to be flaws. It's... It's about his 15th start as an NFL quarterback. I still think the arrow is firmly pointing up for Trevor Simeon. But that Broncos team is built to win a certain way. And if they get off that, it's difficult for them. I thought this game told us more about the Bills, who, to me, are the most underrated team in the NFL so far. I mean, they, they really beat the Jets comfortably. And that looks... When you consider that at halftime the Jets were well in the game against Auckland and then just had a second-half collapse, and then what they did to Miami this weekend, maybe the Jets are slightly better and more competitive than we thought they were going to be. Is, is it going to be a bit like that across the board? Because you've got two other teams <coughs> like that <coughs> from this past week. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the other one that stings out is the Bears. <coughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the Bears... <laughs> are you all right? <laughs> Carry on. The Bears are another team where we've seen two really outstanding performances from them. The one caveat with the Bears is just how bad their overall performance was against Tampa Bay. That was a real dud of a performance. But but yeah, I think I think there are a lot of teams like that, and I, and I think basically there's we're at the point in the NFL now where there's a real middle class of teams that are all very comparable. And you see those teams week to week. Just so you know, Richard Graves has just bought me a water from inside. What a hero. The show must go on. (laughs) I was going to try and get Graves on with us today, but um, I couldn't get a power cable, so I couldn't hook up the big desk. So I'm just through my little thing that I use when we do Skype. So... (laughs) What's happened to my voice? just need to replace you, Pam. Graves, do you want to come and take over? No, he's gone. He's gone. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, Were you worried about the Steelers? um, you know, I'll just throw a random question. At me. <laughs> I was in the middle of discussing the NFL's middle class and how yeah, right, they right. will take a lot of games off each other, which was the point, and that's done. The Steelers have been worried about all season, and that is not going to change while Ben Roethlisberger continues to play the way that he, he has played basically for the last year and a bit now, albeit with the exception he's largely been very good at home. But on the road, he has struggled mightily, and the fact that he struggles with such a good offence around him is is a huge concern. So, yeah, I'm worried about the Steelers. I'm worried about Mike Tomlin trying to use the protest as an excuse for losing the game. I'm worried about what's happened since, which is, bizarrely, the left-tacker Villanueva, who didn't come out, who did go out to the field apologising for it, which seems ridiculous. After he sold the most jerseys in the NFL for a day. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think the Steelers have apologised... To, to him for criticising him for going out. So it's just that the way they handled that whole anthem thing was, was a joke. And I think that nothing like that surprises with, with Mike Tomlin because that it's just always a bit of a farce with the Steelers and becoming more and more clear as, as the years go on. What's and really, they always lose games that they shouldn't lose every year and they've done it again. What's really funny is that I'm not worried about the Steelers about being a playoff team. And the other one is the Raiders who... 
<clears throat> the only real concern is that they are in that AFC West. And this weekend, we've got two huge games. We've got Steel- the Steelers are in Baltimore, and the Raiders take on the Broncos. And, and at that game against Washington, I mean, the Raiders' line we've been so high on over the last two years just fell apart. Uh, I think they've got some big problems at right tackle. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's. I don't think that line is as solid as it, it was. I, I, I never hugely believed in the Marshawn Lynch hype from weeks one and two as well. I understand what he gives you in terms of identity, but if you look at the bare facts of his running, he's just averaged like three yards a carry and not been anything really that special. So, and actually, I think Jalen Richard has been Oakland's best running back all year. And, I think that was the case in this game as well. We've almost talked about every game, so let's just talk about every game at this point. Panthers-Saints, uh, big win for the Saints, and I tell you, the mood around here is so much higher after that win over this uh, over that last week than I imagined it would have been if they'd come in at 0-3. It's the kind of win that tells you a lot about the team, though, isn't it? You need to get it. Your backs are completely against the wall. Everything tells you that you're not going to get the win, and if you don't, it's basically your season over, and then to go and win so emphatically... And with Breeze, I think Breeze is playing with Brady as, as well as any quarterback in the NFL. So there's certainly now reasons for optimism. If you leave London 2-2, two and two, then suddenly your season is very much back alive. I'm backing the Saints in a massive way this weekend because I think whilst the the Saints run game is, is not is something to that, that needs to be figured out, and I think particularly getting that balance and seeing more of Ingram and Kamara and lesser Peterson, to be honest, accepting that that might have been a mistake, but... The the fact is is that, that the Dolphins front is great. The Dolphins back seven is not, and I think that uh, Drew Brees could have a bit of a field day, particularly over the middle against that linebacking core, and I think could be really fun. Um, the other one was the Lions going to two and one by losing to the Falcons, but you've got to say in that situation to run them quite close, and the Falcons well. are the most talented team in the NFC. You know, it's one of those weird, those losses you still take positives from, and you kind of move on. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, when you when you're an inch away from winning the game, literally an inch away, then I mean, winning a game where once once Atlanta got up on them early, I said on Talksport, I think that the prevailing wisdom was that really they were just learning Detroit the difference between playing good teams and elite teams. But then they roared back and were an inch away from winning it. In a game that could easily be a divisional round, maybe even a championship game in the playoffs in a few months' time. So, yeah, I don't think there was, there's anything to worry about for the Lions. In fact, I think they proved more in that game than a loss would suggest that they might have. And by the way, I mean, if people have already listened to the TalkSport 2 NFL show, which I filled in for Nat very last minute yesterday, I've already been on this rant on there. But the people on social media getting angry about how that game ended, calm down. It was exactly the right decision. I know just not just by the rule books, but the fact is, if that play is called right on the field, and I get why it wasn't, I'm not suggesting that the line judges should be, have, you know, the ability to tell those micro inches from wherever they are. But if it's called right on the field and he's ruled down and they've got to get up and run another play, there's no way they're getting the ball off on a fourth down within eight seconds. And then there's no guarantee they even punch it in if they somehow miraculously do. The team was all over the field. There was no chance of it happening. So the 10-second runoff, the end of the game, was absolutely right. They fell short. The Falcons won because they were the better team. Sorry, Lions fans, you're going to have to eat a bad loss. I mean, ultimately, they might have got a playoff, but there's no perfect situation. I mean... I, I didn't realise it was fourth down, so they couldn't even spike the ball. Exactly. They'd obviously have to go for it. But there's no perfect situation anyway. I mean, it's it's hugely unfair on the defence if 
you're a bit, then just get an, an untimed down in the plate. I mean, that's that's just not fair at all on the defence. So for me, it was. There's no perfect rule for that, but I think the one they've got is about as good as you can get. Let's talk about the last three games and a tale of four quarterbacks, I want to say. Uh, maybe more, but in particular... Well, no, actually, uh, in fact, God give Marcus Mariota some love. It's a lot of quarterback play that we've got to talk about. But let's start off with Patriots-Texans because Tom Brady, two minutes left, one timeout, put the ball in his hands. I mean, the actual play to Brandon Cooks and the toe tap, unbelievable throw, unbelievable catch absolutely ridiculous and you're absolutely right Tom Brady after a terrible performance by his standards in week one was just mind-blowing the last two weeks and between him and Breeze they're just showing what does it matter in your late 30s early 40s yeah I mean the only concern for me from a from a period's perspective is I think the side the running backs with the idea of starting to scale back what Brady's doing and I don't think him throwing for 380 yards and five touchdowns is, is scaling anything back. So that's a concern. The defence is a concern. But as I've said a million times on this show, the Patriots have beaten early in the season and, and it's shown itself in two of the three weeks so far. They are eminently beatable. I mean, they're playing a lot of zone coverage on defence at the moment and that'll become man-to-man and they'll become harder to play against and the defence will round into shape. But... But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the Patriots are where they are at the moment, which is usually in the first few weeks of the season, you play five or six teams that are easy wins, but they've played some good teams. I mean, the Houston Texans are a good playoff team. Kansas City are a good playoff team. The the win against the Saints looks better now than it did a week ago. So yeah, it was an amazing game and... and a Texans fan will leave thinking that they definitely have something in Deshaun Watson, which yeah, is great. really impressive. Because he is a guy who just has something about him. You can't put your finger on it with the great quarterbacks in the NFL, but they have something about them where they just can't be beaten. You can never put them away. I mean, when the Patriots got up early in the second quarter, I think a lot of teams, you see them just get a couple of three and outs, then suddenly it's 28-7 and the game's over. Deshaun Watson didn't let that happen because he is a great competitor and the kind of guy who will just make plays. And and from a Texans perspective, that's hugely exciting. Yeah, I, and, you know, the Texans still in a division where, OK, the Jags are looking better and the Colts finally got a win this past week, but still an eminently winnable division, potentially. Although, <coughs> Titans-Seahawks, that was a game of football. It was... A, it, was uh, it was sensational. I mean, I, I've watched a, a few of the games back and my big takeaway from that is Seattle went ahead midway through I think with about six minutes left in the third quarter Mm -hmm. and by about four minutes into the fourth quarter the Seahawks were behind by two scores now that is impressive that is that is most weeks that is the Seahawks stamping on their opponent's throat and ending the game that's what you expect the Seahawks to do for the Titans to show the resiliency and then wear the Seahawks down the way they did was seriously seriously impressive and I just think all we're seeing at the moment in the NFL, and maybe this is because of more teams are are struggling early in the season because of less proper training camp. Maybe it's almost like this this is pre-season, but you're seeing a lot of great performances by teams followed with bizarre bad performances thrown in. The Raiders were great for two weeks, were terrible in week three. The Titans weren't terrible in week one, but they lost comfortably to the Raiders at home and then have been great in the two weeks since. Yeah, absolutely. Completely, 100% agree. And I think 
<clears throat> people want to talk about the Seahawks offense, which is an issue. That offensive line is an issue. And for all, like, uh, Russell Wilson, again, made some ridiculous playground plays and got outside the pocket and made some ludicrous throws. But as a foundation for your offense, if you can't let your guy sit in the pocket, and particularly, um, <clears throat> with, uh, like, it's kind of written off about Russell Wilson's height, right? And, and people say, oh, no, but he's proven that it's not a, pro- it's not a problem. But the fact is, is that you watch the way Drew Brees plays in the pocket. He has developed a game where he either takes an extra step or whether it's... You know, he's developed the way that he runs his offense on the basis that there are going to be six foot nine blokes in front of him and he's going to have to deal with that. Uh, <clears throat> what we've seen with Russell Wilson is that he's not even had the opportunity to try and develop as a well, pocket ex- passer. Ex- except for that... That ridiculous six-week stretch, stretch a, yeah. A couple of years ago, where the protection was good... They got the ball out quick and the offense functioned. But yeah. and I think he's, I think he's got that ability, but he's just not been yeah. given any time to develop it. And if well, he doesn't, how long is he going to last as as a playground type quarterback? Like, but my wonder with Wilson is like, at what point do the Seahawks like flick the switch and say, right, we've had our fun with this for several years now, but we want Russell Wilson to be a quarterback when he's thirty six, thirty seven. So we need to surround him with an offensive line that at least. Gives him the opportunity. I think Russell Wilson could do what he did to the Titans most weeks. Yeah. I think the struggle early in the season sometimes because they try to operate as a normal offense, but realize shit, our offensive line is still not good enough to do it. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, yeah, for, and for the frustrating perspective is that that's fine, and the Titans might be can, might be an elite team, but that's fine against you know. Uh, nine out of ten teams you'll face in the NFL, but when you come yeah. against a Patriots, uh, Packers at times, uh, you know those teams who can be an elite team when they're on their day, then suddenly those those weaknesses will get exploited by good coaches and good defenses, and that's my concern from a Seahawks perspective. I still fully expect them to win the NFC West, and I know that might not be popular with how good the Rams have been in recent weeks. Not to just say all, oh, but it's a competition now. I don't think it is. I still think the Seahawks no. will win it handily this year. Um, the Rams will drop games, and, and uh, you know I think I've been really impressed with what Sean McVay's done over the first few weeks. But yeah, I, there's there's still a concern there when you get into the playoffs. Their team that can actually go all the way, and I think without the um, without the line, but also without the running game, because even with a bad line, Marshall Lynch of three years ago could still find six yards and four of those coming after contact. I don't yeah, think, exactly. e- even though Chris Carson's looked great and it's a great story for a seventh-round guy and everything else, he's not looked like that guy yet. And CJ Price I mean, is not that kind of running back. And I think the big difference in pass protection is Lynch as well because eventually he gets to the point where you respect your opponent so much and you respect their running game so much, as teams previously did, that you are backing off your pass rush so you're not getting to the quarterback quite as quickly, which allowed Wilson the time earlier in his career. I just think the Seahawks are a badly built football team at the moment. And I, everybody liked the fact that they rounded back round and kind of refocused on that defence this off-season. But maybe there needs to come a point where Seattle says, well, maybe we have a slack, maybe we have a, a top 12 defence rather than a top three defence. And I mean, it, let's be honest, right now they don't even have a top three defence. Nice. But the point I'm making is, in terms of the investment, the money that you're putting into your team, they're putting the money level of money in their defense where it should be that kind of level. They need to start spreading it out and trying to be more of a rounded team, I think. Yeah, completely agreed. And then the only team we've not talked about is the Vikings. When I said it's a tale of quarterbacks, I mean, um, Case Keenum, where was that last week? Um, 
That was an unbelievable well, performance. What, what that was is Case Keenum's early NFL career and college career in that he'd kind of gone into his shell completely in the last 15 months and become this guy that he was never just this solid backup guy. He was a guy who makes plays, makes big plays, chucks the ball down the field. And it was almost like I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings coaches got into him on Monday morning, showed him some tape of what he was as, and I'm not saying it's sustainable week to week, but what he'd become was not working for him. I think what he did in this game was reverted back to Case Keenum of college and early career NFL. And he took the ball down the field, and it was kind of a, let's just go for it. We're not going to win playing the way I've been playing. So let's just take some chances. And, and my, oh, my, did it work. And I think, really, it massively caught Tampa Bay by surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agreed. Uh, we've managed to go through, we did manage to go through all the games. I thought it was going to be, we, we kind of touched on them nice and quickly, which was good. We got to the Saints. We talked some field goals uh, as well and, and heard that audio from, by the way, did you see the video of Jake Elliott's parents? No. Oh, it's brilliant. Go and find it on Twitter. It, like, she absolutely loses her mind, the mother. But the dad just has this kind of, like, he can't quite handle it. It's just this most beautiful, like, father moment where he's, like, in trying to hold back the tears, trying to be strong or whatever, but you can see the emotion overcoming him, and it's just, like, it's glorious. And did you hear that Carson Wentz also told Elliot as he ran onto the field, if you hit this, I'll give you my game check. Jesus, how about that's a decent amount of money. Yeah, even as a rookie, that's not going to be any small amount. Well done, Jake Elliott. Um, so, yeah, brilliant stuff. Look, uh, we will have another show. Yeah. Oh, you know what we should do is preview Thursday Night Football. I was thinking there's a way for us to round the show off, but I can't think what it is. It's previewing Thursday Night Football, of course. It is. Let me just say one thing on a game that we never mentioned. Washington, I apologise for suggesting how bad they were going to be. I thought they were as impressive as any team in the NFL on Sunday. And also... One of the main reasons for that is Bill Callahan is one of the best coaches in the NFL, isn't he? Just awesome. Yeah. That offensive line looked amazing in that game. Offensive line looked great. And do you know what else was great? The front. I did. Jonathan Allen, the rookie, had a few really big moments. Preston Smith it's really Tom Shuler, that, isn't it? Isn't Tom Shuler there now? Is yeah, he the D-line coach who I've made that up? Yeah, he is. No, he is. He's great. Uh, and uh, he is, he's the guy who put together that ridiculous 49ers front with Justin Smith and Alden Smith coming off the edge and, you know, starting to see a little bit of that with the 3-4 in, in Washington. And, yeah, there's, there's reasons to still be excited after some, some difficulty early in the season. So Just shows the value of those, those really good assistant coaches. I think it's one of the most underrated things in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Bears, Packers, Thursday night football. Anything in your mind suggests that this is a team who, in the era of uh, Aaron Rodgers, the Packers are fourteen and four against the, the Chicago Bears. They are zero and four against the Chicago Bears on prime time. All four of their losses have come under the lights, and a couple of those have come in Lambeau. But even despite that ludicrous stat, I just I'm struggling to look beyond the Packers on Thursday night. Short week, home field. Bears have just come off what was an overtime game, even if it was a short overtime and an emotional win. I just think it kind of might come crashing down to earth for the Bears on Thursday. Maybe, but there is a niggling thought at the back of my mind that for, in ter- relative to your expectations, the Packers have been about as as unimpressive as any team in the NFL this season. I mean, to nearly lose at home to the Bengals takes some doing. That is astonishingly bad. They were terrible against Atlanta. 
and the Seahawks win looks worse every time I watch the Seahawks play, particularly on the road. And in fact, the Seahawks were much more competitive against the Packers than they were against Tennessee on the road. I mean, barring that strip sack by Mike Daniels, I think the Seahawks probably would have won the game. So I don't think the Packers are a billion miles away from being 0-3. Oh, strong words. Do you? Now I wish Ollie was here for this show. Ollie apologises for think... not being here, by the way. He's what? got to get his house on the market by Friday, stupid divorce. <laughs> yeah, what a what a sad time. Well, a happy time that it's all coming to an end for him. Thank, yeah. um, Thankful, all take, round. Take We're all delighted the fact for him. That you are a hugely closeted Packers fan. What, <laughs> can, can you disagree with any of that? No, no, absolutely. And the, and the Packers have been a team who, they weren't good against the Falcons and they struggled. But I think that... Yeah, the big thing for them is getting uh, David Bakhtiari back. If he's back on Thursday, once they've got that, they're, they're starting five on the line, they look really good. But here's the thing. They've not looked good because they've had line injuries. And guess what? They let three linemen go in free agency this summer, at least one of whom can be a starter and two of whom are very, very, very good backups. Now, could they have afforded to have kept all three of those guys? Maybe not. But letting all three of them go, I said at the time I thought it'd be an issue to Ollie, and I thought that could be a real problem for the Packers, and it's proved so early in the season when they've had injury problems on that line. So, you know, that, that is a concern. And on the defensive side of the ball, again, Devon House being injured, Mike Daniels missing snaps. Like, those are players who, based on their performance week one, they can't afford to keep missing time. And the Packers are, are, are maybe a, a prime example of a team who... If they get the wrong injuries, except for Rodgers, obviously that's you know there's, that, that's season-ending potentially. But you know, outside of Rodgers, they lose any of those key pieces, and suddenly they're very weak in depth. What's Mike Daniels' status for the game? I believe he's down to play this weekend, but um, this this Thursday. If, Dan- but... if Daniels is back, I think the Packers win. But I could see the Bears' running game giving them some trouble. But my only concern with the Bears, I mean. So the Bears now have ne- very, very, very nearly beat Atlanta. Really good win against Pittsburgh with a bizarre, terrible performance in the middle of it. But you, you think if they if they can run the ball, it's going to be that in every game and, and keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. I think there's certainly a couple of game plans where the Bears could win, but I would probably think the Packers get it. Beautiful stuff. Matt Sherry, it's been a pleasure. And uh, do you know what? I might be sunburned by the end of this. We've just spent an hour chatting in the sun. It's a beautiful day in uh, in West London, and I'm about to go off and interview me some saints. Naturally, it's uh, pretty miserable and foggy in Hartlepool. Oh, good old Hartlepool. It's really muggy here. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was talking to... I don't know why you came up in conversation when I went for lunch with my, um, with my dad and my mum yesterday. There was some reason... Oh, it was because I was talking about the coverage on Sunday night. And I said to my parents, I think you'd really like Sherry. Uh, and then I said, I said, uh, he said he's from Hartlepool. And my dad went, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> Without even reacting, like, just absolutely snap. So there Do you I go. I need to be giving this guy a call. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you Chris Gavin's number when we get off air. He's a great guy, but yeah, he, put, he poured some serious shade on the area of Hartlepool. I have nothing to say to that. I'm hugely offended. <laughs> Never been more offended in your life, eh? No. Uh, thank you very much for listening, then. Uh, do get involved. Party. Gridiron-magazine.com. Good to see a lot of you are now buying your tickets. You get free Krispy Kremes. You can get free whiskey. And you're going to get free Gridiron magazines. What more do you want? Get involved. Come down after Dolphin Saints. Drown your sorrows. Celebrate a win. Or just come and watch your team play on Red Zone in the late games. It's going to be really good fun. And we'd love to see you there. Uh, thank you to you, Sherry. Thank you to Ollie for all the hard work he does, even though he's not on the show today which is very sad and thank you very much for listening this has been the gridiron show 
trolley with your favourite brands on rollback at Asda. A 38-pack of Fairy Non-Bio Capsules was £8.50, now £5.75. And Lenore Gold Fabric Conditioner was £4, now £2.50. Big brands, small prices. Don't compromise. Asda. Save money, live better. Selected stores subject to availability. Lenore 1.925 litres. Ends 18th of March.